Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts, Todd Buckingham, and you can find me on Twitter at Major underscore Mid. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman, and I'm on Twitter at Greg Steeman. Well, so Greg, I wanted to start out this week's episode. You had the opportunity to do a pretty exciting interview, so I wanted you to just uh, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll go right into the interview. Yeah, it was a uh, neat opportunity to to visit with Eric Henderson, uh, men's basketball coach at South Dakota State University, going into his second season. Uh, very impressive season last year as a rookie head coach in the league, um, tying North Dakota State with the best record, but North Dakota State got the number one seed in the Summit League tournament. South Dakota State had the number two seed, and as he'll talk about, uh, people will remember that South Dakota State was down one Douglas Wilson heading into the Summit League tournament. I think they played their last one or two conference games without him. And, uh, and then they also had a tough loss in the conference tournament. But Coach Henderson is optimistic about this season, as optimistic as any coach can be with all the unknowns. And so I thought it was really a neat opportunity to sit down and visit. And when you'll hear the interview, I think you can tell um, – there's a number of reasons why Coach Henderson is is very optimistic. Hey, this is uh, Greg Steeman on, on Reaching the Summit podcast, and our guest this week, Eric Henderson, uh, head coach, second-year head coach for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, and the preseason favorites coming into this uh, unique season. Let's put it that way. I've, I've called it a mulligan a few times, you know, a mulligan year, but um, Eric, congratulations on the preseason honors. I know as a coach, sometimes you're going, oh, great, we got to deal with that. But congratulations, you earned it because of the way your team played throughout the course of the, the conference season last year and then just the, the abundance of talent that you've got coming back and, and experience. Talk a little bit about the, the, the group of guys you have coming back and kind of the, what's motivating them and what motivating, what's motivating them this season and, uh, and, and helping you get through these difficult times. Yeah, thanks, Coach. I mean, as, as you're well aware, as you've been in that situation a few times, it's 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 nice to see your guys rewarded. Um, however, it really doesn't mean a whole lot this time of year. It's a lot better to see them rewarded at the end of the year than than at this time. But but uh, regardless, our guys have earned it, and and you know we we got a great young still bunch of kids that uh, really enjoy playing together, and and they play their tails off, you know, and. And so it, it is a fun group to be around and a fun group to coach. And, and you know, it's, it, it's something that, you know, we get asked a lot. We get a lot. We have a lot of guys coming back. But, and, and we did. We accomplished some things that we're very proud of last year. But at the end of the day, we still have some, you know, bad taste in the mouth of, of how our season ended. And obviously with Douglas getting hurt there um, towards the end of the year and not being able to play our last two games with him, Certainly, certainly didn't help, but um, we also feel like we did some things, you know, even without Doug that, that you know, hurt our chances to win some games. So um, we, we were playing a lot of young guys, but, but we're still extremely motivated and especially how the season ended, um, that our, our guys are hungry and um, they, they worked their, their tails off this summer. And it's been, like you said, it's certainly been unique, Greg. And, and um, you know, we were, we were not able to really compete most of the summer. Um, couldn't play one-on-one, -on -one, couldn't play two-on-two -two or five-on-five -five due to the COVID restrictions that our administration put on us. But to their credit, they allowed us to get in the gym. And what we were able to do is work on our skills and, and uh, continue to develop them and, and uh, just work, work, work on getting better every single day and not worrying about not being able to compete, but just, uh, you know, you can only can control what you can control. And so um, th their efforts and their mind frame was good in that sense. And change some of their bodies. I think some of our guys' bodies are going to look a little different, um, look a little stronger, maybe hopefully a little more explosive. And, and then, um, you know, once we were able to start to get back to playing five on five and competing against each other, um, it just kind of ramped up a notch because that's what everybody's in this for. They love to compete. Are you going to win? Are you going to lose? And, and um, I, you know, you can only give them so many shooting contests or shooting drills to compete against each other. 
as you're well aware, I wouldn't win any of those. So that <laughs> makes it tough for some of those guys. So to be able to get on the court, play five on five and, and want to rip the other guy's heart out, even though it's your teammate, um, that, that's been fun to watch. And, and um, this group, they have a high level of compete, which is fun to see in practice. Um, we've added a few guys that I think our depth is going to be a little bit better. But, uh, you know, we got that core group back. You know, our top seven guys um, at the end of the year are all back, and, you know, including all five starters. And, you know, Alex Arians, when, when we switched him over to the point guard spot, he just really did a nice job of controlling our team and settling things down. And, and we had a great, you know, purpose once he kind of took over and, and we were able to play through the post maybe a little bit easier and shoot it a little bit better from the perimeter. And we started taking better shots. And, and um, you know, guys like Matt and Doug on the block, we played through those guys a lot. And, and then Noah stepping up and David Winget, you know, you know, being able to shoot perimeter shots. We got, it, we got them five starters back that, you know, are still very, very hungry. And Baylor Shireman off the bench, Matty Mims, they've all produced at times. So they're looking to, you know, even produce more and, and be more consistent. So we're excited about our group. Well, Coach, you should be. I mean, when you talk about the group you bring back, and, and, and isn't that the, the crazy part of being in a one-bid league? You put together a fantastic regular season in the conference slate, and what that does is that puts you in position, and, and you ended up coming in as a two-seed. Granted, you, you, you go up to Fargo in, in what I still say was a classic game, hard fought without Wilson. And I, I just have to believe, you know, Wilson's player of the year, and at the same time, you're coaching this group without the player of the year and taking North Dakota State right down to a last possession game. Um, it's, it speaks highly of, of what you did with that group last season, Coach. And, and you know, you talked about that. Um, talk about Douglas Wilson. Talk about Noel Friedel. Dentlinger, you know, his improvement over the course of last season. Arians making the, uh, the adjustment to the point and then everybody gets that year of experience underneath them right now in the midst of high expectations and in the midst of complete unknown, the fact that adversity could be right around the corner for different teams throughout the course of the season from, we may be missing three guys. We may be missing five guys. We don't even know if, the, if we're going to be able to play our schedule out. How do you lean on some of your leaders? How do you expect them to, to, uh, to see you as a coaching staff, what are they taking from, from you, the advice, just as far as how to navigate not only this preseason, the games that are currently on the schedule, and then once you work in, into a, probably the most unique conference season that anybody can remember, how are you preparing this group? And, and speak to what maybe some of you, you know, maybe it's your staff, maybe it's some of your leaders on the team, how they're all stepping up and, and, uh, and helping you guys navigate this as a team. Well, as, as far as expect, expectations, Coach, it's it's something that, you know, South Dakota State, even, even though last year when I took over um, and we had a lot of new guys, maybe last year we had a year off, but expectations has been a part of this program for a really, really long time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I give our guys a lot of credit. Um, and and we, we, we started taking this approach since TJ, you know, when I was working under TJ, um, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just worry about um, the next thing that's in front of us, whether we have a practice today and, and, and how are we going to get better today? And then, or, or if we're playing, you know, North Dakota State on, on a Thursday and, and uh, Denver on a Saturday, we're not going to worry about Saturday. We're, we're, we're worried about what's in front of us. And I think when you do that, Coach, I think you keep things simple. Um, you don't overthink things and, and you give your guys a lot of confidence and a lot of freedom to just go out there and play. Um, we never really have been someone that set a lot of goals. We kind of understand what the expectations are, but we don't talk about NCAA tournaments. We don't talk about conference championships. We just control what we can control. And really, that's you can only do that on a day-to-day -day basis. There's sometimes whether this year that this year we better use that philosophy to the max. Otherwise I feel like you're going to be in trouble because there's going to be punches being thrown at you from all different directions. And um, you could have maybe your best two players not being able to play, but so could the other team. So you just have really, really, there's a lot of uncertainty with all of that. And, and I hope that our approach 
can can help us through some of those challenging times, whether it's uh, we're missing players or we have to reschedule a game and play games um, like in a crazy stretch, wh whatever it is. Um, and, 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 and our players that, uh, you know, kind of help us with that, we, we, you know, it always does. It starts with Douglas. Douglas is, he's such an impactful player. And, and uh, obviously, you know, coach, he's extremely talented. But as talented as he is, he's an even better teammate. He wants to see all of his teammates succeed and, and have success on their own. Um, but most importantly, he, he wants us to win. And, you know, we play through him so much and we, we get him touches all over the place. But, but he's, and he scores it at a high level in, in very unique ways. But he's such a willing passer as well. And when your best player, when the league MVP has that approach, it's really hard for everybody else on the team not to have that same approach. And, you know, it, it, and I go to, you know, Noah Friedel, who was, you know, the freshman of the year. And he's a competitive as a kid that I've coached in a long, long time. But, but with Doug's mentality of being so unselfish, infesting in our team, Noah, Noah can make incredibly hard shots. He loves the big moment. But my favorite part about Noah, he doesn't take bad shots. He understands he has good players and around him that can make plays as well. Um, but he loves that moment and he has a knack for that moment. So, he, you know, we're really looking for him to be more consistent and, and make steps forward. And, and he's done a really good job this summer and fall of, of getting better, growing in maturity level. Um, and then you have the two stable mates as far as, you know, uh, Alex and Matt, just, you know, they are who they are. They're, you, you really have a, you, you understand more than likely what you're going to get out of them every single night. And uh, that's something that is, is refreshing as a coach, as you're well aware. And, and um, you know, we've got a great group that really care about each other and, and share the ball. And, and um, you know, that, that mentality that unselfish mentality, selfless servant leadership that, that we have at the top is something that really has helped us get through these uncertainty uncertain times. And, and uh, hopefully that can help us going forward as we go through the year and, and, and have interruptions and, and stuff like that. So we, we got a great group, but obviously there's gonna be challenges as well. I really appreciate your perspective. Uh coach. And, and I, I like that. I think what you're doing is you're really sending a great message to your kids is, hey, listen, prepare yourself for adversity. Expect adversity. Never let it catch you off guard. And, and by taking a one-day-at-a-time approach, they're, they're going to be well prepared for that. And I, I really appreciate kind of the, the, the way that you're using this as an opportunity to teach your kids. I'm, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. A couple, two specific things. One is, um, you got to be happy this isn't your first year as a coach going through this. How much, um, how valuable was it to have that season under your belt heading into this season? And what are some key things that you think you can take from last year as in your first year as a, as a head coach? And how can your team benefit from that year of experience this season, coach? Yeah, you're right. I'm very happy this isn't my first year <laughs> and being able to um, experience that last year with our guys was really special, but it was also a great learning experience. And I think one thing that I, I learned probably more than more than mo most is like less is more. You know, it, it, you got to enjoy the moment. Let the guys have fun. Enjoy this process because it goes fast. And the more you throw at them, um, honestly, it feels like to me the more confusion there is. Um, they're not able to play as confident. They're not able to play as free. So, you know, being able to go through that last year, and especially early in the season, we're trying to throw things at them. Now, we, we were still trying to find an identity as well, you know, and, and to see who we are and what was going to be the best version of that Jackrabbit team. And it took some time. And, and that's okay. Um, but, but, you know, going into this year, you know, it feels like we have a lot better understanding of who this team is, what, what its strengths are, and what can we rely on, and, and, and who we can rely on. And, and so there's been, you know, a lot more um, comfortability with that, but there can't be complacency. And um, we, we, they continue to work their tails off, and we continue to challenge them. 
and hold them accountable and keep things really simple. And if we do those things, we feel like we can um, continue to have success and, and not get too far ahead of ourselves. So it was, a, it was an enjoyable year, but it was also quite a learning experience. And I told them, I, there's nobody that made more mistakes on our team last year than me. So uh, don't worry about it. We're all going to make them. Let's get through them and, and learn from them. Uh, love the approach. Thanks again for that perspective. And, and, and I know the fans um, in Brookings and, and, and in the state of South Dakota are really excited about this year's version of uh, Jackrabbit men's basketball, without question. Even, though, even with the, the unique scheduling, whatever it might be, um, I know they're excited about it, and rightfully so. The last question I was going to ask you, and you know what? I decided I'm going to save this for the end of the season just because of your approach. This is a mulligan year. Nobody's losing their eligibility. Nobody's technically done after this season, and I was going to get into someone like Douglas Wilson, a guy who maybe can make some money playing the game. My guess is you're going to have that conversation well at the right time. That's probably the last thing on his mind right now and the last thing on your mind right now. Um, it's just still, it's, it's great that if everybody continues to, to do what they're supposed to do to the, to the best of their ability, you guys are going to get a season under your belts. You're going to have a chance to compete for a conference championship. And uh, that's, that's the, at the end of the day, in a one-bid league, that's what you want to do is put yourself in a position to go dancing in March. So, Coach, you, you've been really generous with your time. Um, we typically try to keep these fairly short. I'm grateful for um, you sharing some of your experiences with us. We wish you the absolute best this season. We can't wait to cross paths, and we're really looking forward to watching this season's ver uh, version of the, of the Jackrabbits. Coach, really appreciate it, and thanks for all you do for, for basketball in our region. It's pretty special. Thanks, buddy. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Coach. All right, fantastic. Uh, so let's start out with just talking about what the two of you, what you thought about the interview and kind of what came to mind as you were speaking with Coach Henderson. Well, I thought it was really a, a telling interview. And, um, you know, you can tell he really puts his team first. You know, he really listens to what his team is telling him and how they should be playing, things like that. And, um, and I, I, you know, the thing that really I, I always take away from when I watch South Dakota State play is just our great culture. I mean, it's we're to the point now where it's spanned several different head coaches, several different conference player of the years, dozens of, of good role players. And uh, those players really know what the standard is there. That It's not lost on them. And I think it attracts the right type of players, too, because of that. Um, you know, the, their formula really seems to be uh, getting the right players, both talent wise and, and just approach wise, you know, put them in with their culture. And then you add in the motivation and the focus that they get um, from their head coach, and that equals wins and consistency. And that's what we've seen out of them. Um, I think they all, all their players really have clearly defined roles, as you heard Coach Henderson talking about each individual player. They all have clearly defined roles. They know what they're good at. They know what they're not good at. They know what is required of each one of them every time they step on the floor. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest advantage South Dakota State has going into this year is – there's no question marks with them, really. It's, you know, the, the, the situation's pretty straightforward for them. Um, every player knows what they need to do. They know what their rotation's going to be. And now it's just about executing. And uh, that's not something really any other team can say at this point. A lot, of the, a lot of other programs have some huge question marks hanging over their heads right now. And they don't have the normal time that you would get to figure that out. They don't have the non-conference games. Uh, they don't have the preseason games, or at least not to – the extent that you normally would um, there, there may be some there, but um, you know, they're going to hit the ground running this year and no other programs are really going to do that. And so, you know, the last, last part of the formula is, is having the right amount of motivation. And like Greg talked about, you know, their early exit from the conference uh, tournament last year and um, Douglas Wilson's injury really hammers home how precarious of a situation the, the entire season can be, even if you're playing well, um, they know to not take anything for granted right now. So, I mean, they just, they, they, they check every single box, you know, it, it's, uh, they, it, they're, they're really in a great spot going forward. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, coach Henderson feels really good about everything right now. Yeah. I think you bring up a number of very good points, Zach. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've always said is it's a lot harder to stay good than it is to get good. And uh, obviously, Jackrabbit fans and, and, and Coach Henderson and his staff and, 
and, and all of us uh, that, that watch Summit League basketball to any extent realize that this is a very, an extremely talented team coming back. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for Coach Henderson and his staff is to continually with this team talk about are you content with where you're at or, or how do we push ourselves to improve? How do guys like Wilson and Dentlinger who, who shoot it at, I don't know, 65%, how do they improve their efficiency? How does it Friedel come back and as a sophomore and back up? Well, freshman, second-year freshman, whatever you want to call it, how does he come back in his second college season and back up what was a, a freshman of the year performance? Do the expectations get to him or do they embrace him? And I think that the best teams typically embrace those opportunities to say, you know what, if people don't think we're going to get better, let's go out and show them. They've added some depth, as Coach Henderson has talked about, and that's going to be something that that I think will be of great value if, you know, if we see this conference season play out the way we expect it to, playing on those back-to-back nights, Fridays and Saturdays. Boy, it's going to be really nice not to have to play guys 35 minutes a game. Can you get it done playing them 29 minutes a game and, and utilize some depth to keep players fresh so you can back up a Friday night performance with another quality one on Saturday night? So I think it's it's a neat opportunity for Coach Henderson. And I think the other thing, the last thing I'll say is I like his approach. This, this season, you know, whatever it's going to end up being is a great life lesson. Take mm-hmm. advantage of what you have the chance that you have today because you don't even know if you're going to have a chance to step on the practice floor tomorrow. You don't even know if tomorrow's game or a game that's scheduled three days from now is even going to be played. All you can do is, is control, you know, your attitude and your effort in the moment. And, and you can't, uh, you know, and you have to expect the, the adversity to happen and it can never be caught off guard by it. So uh, this is going to be a great life lesson and not just for coach Henderson and his team, but for every team, in the Summit League, every college athletic team, every high school team for that matter, this is going to be, you know, hopefully coaches are using this as a, as a great way to talk about this isn't just athletics we're discussing here. We're preparing ourselves to deal with adversity for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think, um, you know, another thing that really stands out to me, just kind of hearing you talk Greg, a little bit and just kind of thinking about their program and comparing them to other ones is, is trust. Um, I don't think that's something that's talked about a whole lot. And trust is definitely fleeting in college basketball today. You know, I mean, there's never been a higher level of transfers. Um, Coaches are relying on newcomers more and more. And so for a team to be able to have continuity and trust, it really gives them an edge that other teams just can't develop overnight. You know, they're not going to be able to develop that this year. You can only accomplish so much in practice. And the South Dakota State team has a whole year's worth of going through the battles, going through the ups and downs. They took their lumps as a, as a young team last year, and they really came out the other side of it looking pretty well. I mean, they, they had very few transfers, um, high level of continuity. That establishes their roles. And so they just kind of run right into this year. I, I don't, you know, th- these other programs that are relying on transfers, um, they're doing that because they have to, right? They got hit with the, the, the graduation bug a little bit. Um, nothing you can do about that. But South Dakota State really didn't have any of that. And so they just pretty much run it back from last year. And, uh, you know, it's going to be I'm really curious to see um, just how that compares and contrasts with their little consistency with the other schools in this conference. Yeah, I'll I'll just respond to that quick. I think it's a good observation. And, and you know, it's interesting when you look at there's always going to be a certain level of turnover, especially on the men's side. There's maybe you know, smaller windows of, or, or, or patience waiting for an opportunity. But when you look at the two programs that have been consistently in the, in, in the NCAA tournament from the Summit League, South Dakota State and Coach Henderson and listening to him in his interview and Dave Richmond and his NDSU teams, they don't, they'll have some turnover, but they don't have nearly as much. And they typically, typically will have some, some strong, consistent upperclassmen to provide uh, guidance for for younger players coming in goes back to the culture. The coaches aren't the ones that are doing all the teaching. A lot of the upperclassmen are, and so there's a reason that those two teams have been uh, that the representative for the Summit League and the NCAA tournament numerous years over the past decade. Well, and something interesting as both of you were talking, it's easy to say that 
every other team in the Summit League would like to have the same culture as South Dakota State and North Dakota State? Is it as simple as trust and getting people to buy into their players to buy into their roles? Or is there more to it than that? I really think there's a little bit more to it. Uh, You have to see it play out. I think, you know, like, like I said, there's only so much you can accomplish in practice, but Mm -hmm. to see it play out over years and years and years, you know, both South Dakota state and North Dakota state. And then both those programs are to the point where, you know, when they, when they recruit players, they know pretty early on whether they're the right cultural fit or not. And they don't sacrifice cultural cultural for anything. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of, and then it, it's just sort of attracts the right type of players to the program. You know, if, if I'm a good player that like, that likes winning and likes having fun and likes being part of a good group of guys, I'm kind of looking at that program saying, you know what, that's what I want. If I'm a more of a selfish player who is just kind of worried about my stats, things like that, I'm looking at that situation and being like, you know what, that's probably not where I'm going to accomplish my goals of scoring the most points. Right. If I don't necessarily care about winning. So, and then it just kind of all, all the, the right players just sort of gravitate towards these programs. And, you know, now it's even spanning multiple head coaches at both of those programs. Everybody understands both players and coaches. When you go to those programs, you know what the standard is. That's the, that's the, the summation of, of all their activities is the standard. And both those programs really mirror each other. And uh, it's a reason why that they've just had a stranglehold on that automatic NCAA tournament bid. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, Zach. And, and, and it's, I think it's a great question, Todd, because the other thing is, that, you know, the fine line you walk in this day and age as a head coach or as a, someone leading a, your coaching staff in your program is the understanding that, you know, redshirting is becoming more and more um, it's le- becoming less common because the, the patience that these young athletes have coming in and, and looking for their opportunity to contribute, it, it's not nearly what it was even a decade ago. And I'm not talking about the good old days. It's just different times. And uh, especially with this year where there's really no red shirting going on because this year doesn't count against anybody's career. Uh, how do you balance getting guys on the floor and, 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 and how do you balance having those difficult conversations saying, listen, you're going to be good enough. We see that in you, but it may not happen for a year or two. You have to hope that you've recruited the right type of person that understands my opportunity will come when I've earned it. And when it does, I will have earned it in a program that year in year out puts itself in position to compete for conference championships and NCAA tournament berths. So it's a, it's a little bit of a tightrope that coaches end up walking. Dave Richmond has walked it very well. And Coach Henderson, as you mentioned, is the third, you know, coach uh, following T.J. Otzelberger and then Scott Nagy that kind of figured out a way to, to allow those players to develop and, and see the long-term picture as opposed to what's going on, you know, today in my career. And am I happy today? And, and if this is what I want or am I – too impatient and do I want to go seek out another institution where maybe I can contribute a year earlier? It's just a balance. And hopefully you, as you mentioned, Zach, hopefully you've recruited the kids that understand if I'm willing to work for this, it's going to be worth the wait as long as I put the work in. I think the last thing I'll say is just sort of the personification of everything that we're talking about here is essentially Mike Dom's career, right? Comes in uh, slightly under-recruited, uh, develops nicely, becomes a fantastic player, uh, all-conference type of player, player of the year, um, NCAA tournament appearance, and then you know has this opportunity to go somewhere else. Right, He could have really probably went and played anywhere he wanted to for his senior year, but he wanted to play in Brookings, right? I mean, he, he wanted to play for the South Dakota State. That's how much it meant to him. That's how much it, his teammates and coaches meant to him. And I just thought watching that, uh, especially after seeing some of the success some of the other grad transfers have had out of the conference uh, really just impressed me. And that told me all I needed to know about everything that they have going on at the South Dakota state program. Well, and I want to transition to our next topic. And and one of the things coach Henderson said is his players love to compete and you guys really hit on everything else that he said. Um, But given that love to compete, there's a whole bunch of people talking about whether uh, with, with I would say, not a lot of skin in the game, talking about whether players are going to be able to compete this year. And I think it's a good topic to talk about 
And what what do you guys think is going to happen? Are we going to be playing college basketball in a month here? Well, I think, you know, there are so many different angles. And um, it's such an emotional topic. And, you know, everybody has a very strong opinion about it. And there's there's very valid points all around here. And I don't think that there's a, a silver bullet for this situation, right? There's, there's going to be pros and cons. Um, this isn't black and white. There's going to be shades of gray, you know. And I, I think whether it's college or high school, um, so just to kind of bring everybody up to speed, what we have going on here in, in North Dakota came down on, I believe, Friday afternoon, uh, or late Friday, I should say, that they're, they're putting the brakes on all um, – extracurricular activities until December 14th. So that, that's where we stand in North Dakota. And um, I, I think that really caught a lot of people off guard. I'm not hundred percent sure if it, uh, that affected college. I don't believe it did. Is that right, Greg? You know, as you're saying that I, my initial reaction is I think it's high school only. Yeah. It, yeah. To the best yeah, I of listened- my understanding. Yeah. I listened to the whole governor's speech for some reason. Um, and uh, he had, he had specifically separated out high school and college. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's really like, like I said, there's a million different angles that we could, that we could discuss here. And I really do think it's an interesting topic. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm properly framing this, that, you know, obviously um, health comes first, right? Uh, health comes first, but I don't believe that this is necessarily a, a binary situation you know, where they're 100% safe if they don't play and they're 100% susceptible if they do play. Um, I think execution matters. I think we need some good examples. We need some shining examples of ways that this situation is being handled properly because there are a lot of people that aren't handling it properly. Um, and it's it's showing up in our numbers, right? Um the, those high school players and their coaches and college coaches and their players uh, are some of the most disciplined and laser focused people in society right now because they understand that if they're not, the season's gone, right? I don't think anybody really disagrees. I don't think anybody disagrees that if like there's a couple positives that the whole season's going to get canceled, right? Nobody's going to, nobody can contend with that. And these players want their season so bad. You talk to any of their coaches, these players are, you know, wearing their masks, they're being diligent, they're, you know, being singularly focused in terms of accomplishing what they need to do because they understand that, you know, hey, I may only have a year left in high school. I need to get my work done. I need to get, um, I, I, need, I need to practice. I need to take care of my business. I need to reduce chances of exposure, things like that. So I guess where I'm going with this is I think we're missing a big opportunity here. We should be lifting up these players and coaches as fantastic examples of how everybody in society should be focused and uh, how they should be handling their business, not necessarily turning them into collateral damage and making them pay for the sins of everybody else in society because we just really haven't handled this that well. And there's a lot that goes into that, and that's for a conversation for another day. Um, But these players, by and large, have, and that's using the objective data for, for that age group and these activities, things like that. They were able to play out the football season, by and large, again. Um, and so I don't necessarily view them as the problem, especially considering some of the other things that are allowed to go on. So, you know, it's just too bad that we're not using them as a, as a, as an opportunity to show everybody else what they should be doing and just not taking the decision, whether they play or not out of their hands. So, um, again, again, a lot can be discussed there, but those are just kind of my first, first couple of thoughts, I guess. Well, I will, you know, echo some of those sentiments. I, I think, you know, the fact that we in North Dakota, and in South Dakota, just got done completing the high school football season, extremely physical sports. Were there some postponements, cancellations? Yes, everybody expected those things. But for the most part, these kids handled things exceptionally well. You also see, and, and I'm not, I am no medical expert, but I, I can read. You know, we also see a number of states that have had mask mandates in place for, I don't know, four to six months now. And those states are continuing to see spikes, whatever it might be. I just go back to the age they, uh, uh, the, the, and the commitment that the kids make to give themselves a chance to compete. And my 
biggest concern is we use those as a, they end up being pawns so that someone can stand up and say, well, see, we're doing something here. We're, we're trying to do something. And they're forcing people that are already doing their best and they're using them as sacrificial lambs. And that's disappointing. That's how it uh, feels it, to me. Yeah. And it, it, it's, go ahead, Todd. Yeah, but that's. Just, I mean, that's how it feels to me that uh, I I have a tough time seeing how the players are actually, or if their loved ones or whomever are actually safer going away from three times a week testing and going and living as as young adults. It, 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 you know, I mean, that, that, that's been talked about, especially at the college level. It, these players are by and large safer than the average population like by a pretty wide margin, um, you know, like uh, some of the college programs that I follow pretty closely, um, they've been able to pull off playing football, you know, with, with testing and they don't have positives. Um, I, that's not to say that some can't pop up and, and, and this is perfect by, by any means. Um, but they've done a pretty good job of establishing protocols and, you know, if just like Greg said, if they're able to pull off football, I don't see the reason why they couldn't at least try basketball. I mean, if they get into if they get into the middle of this and it ends up being a mess, I don't think anybody has a problem pulling the plug on it. But if you look at this timeline, you know, so you're talking nothing till December 14th, right? Well, there's really not going to be any more games before before then, and you're talking about, you know, just letting the kids practice with their classmates that they're with all day. It's by not having practice. It, it doesn't limit their exposure. They're with these people all the time anyway. And so I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing there, you know, when, when it comes time for games, then there is a little bit more exposure, but that's where testing and, and the, the preventative uh, procedures come into place here. Again, I, I, I hate speaking too confidently about this stuff um, because obviously I'm not a medical professional, but I'm just trying to follow just very, very basic logic here. Um, you should be able to sit in the same room. You should be able to be around the people that you've been sitting with all day. I don't, I don't see the downside in that. So I, I, I just think the situation probably wasn't looked at close enough and they kind of jumped to some, some conclusions and they became collateral damage for, for other people. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to find that balance, right? We have, for example, bars that are open. You can, you can go to work and then you can go to the bar and then you can go, you can be with all these different population segments that's not a problem at all. Um, but kids can't spend an extra hour with the people that they're already spending time with. Um, so anyway, I just, and, and, and I may be missing something too. So, I mean, th this is good stuff. There's been a lot of chatter on Twitter about it, but, um, so, but that's so please, the high please, school please give us feedback. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the high school, school side. side. I mean, call, and that's, call, the, yeah. the college is still moving forward. I get it. Uh, you know, guys, Hey, we know this. We know that this virus is highly contagious. It's very real. We know that there are definitely higher risk populations, much higher risk populations that has played out. None of this is, is, is uh, new information. I just get concerned that there's been more guilting and more shaming about whether it's actions or inactions and we all know the people that love to criticize. We all know the people that love to sit on the sidelines and wait for the one exception to happen so they can stand up and say, see, I told you so. I'm just, I'm proud of the people that say, let's go make the best of whatever our situation allows us to do. And I think that's what our college coaches and, and these college athletes are doing. I think that's, that's what these athletic departments are doing. It's just the, the, the uh, I talked to somebody, it was Mike DeCourcy last year, said, you know, sometimes the fastest way to the headlines for a lot of these politicians is through the sports pages. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's unfortunate and it's sad that they'll allow, you know, the kids that are at probably the most disciplined at trying to take care of themselves and protect themselves and their families, they end up being the ones paying the price just because it's a little more high profile situation. So anyway, uh, you know what? Let, I'm optimistic. I, I, I think in the, the Battle of the Dakotas, UND, USD, SDSU, NDSU, December 10th, 11th, and 12th down at the Pentagon in Sioux Falls, I'm hoping it happens. And, uh, and I know there are a few other non-conference things, 
that we're all hoping those things take place. So I'm going to stay optimistic until st- somebody tells me the opportunity has been taken away. Yeah, I think the big difference between high school and college here, I know we've been talking about high school quite a bit, but to get, kind of get back to college is they're, they're definitely able to isolate themselves probably a little bit more than in high school. You know, high school, you know, you're in the building with hundreds of other kids and in different classrooms, things like that. College, you can pretty well isolate yourself. I mean, if you're talking online classes, if you're talking athletes only dorms, things like that, there's much more you can do in college. And I think that's why they're probably leaving them out of a lot of this is because they, they have more options. Um, it, yeah, you, you're right, Greg. This may turn into a situation where the Dakota schools, they may become very familiar with each other by the end of this, by the end of this year. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see them play each other, you know, four five, six times um, just to get some type of semblance up there to try to get to that minimum amount of games. Um, and just to make sure that the summer league has a conference champion and that they can do the best that they can to be a good representative in the NCAA tournament. Now we have an NCAA tournament. So, you know, one day at a time, um, things aren't trending well. But, you know, I've, I trust these players and coaches almost more than anybody else in society because they seem to be the most disciplined. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like y'all. I'm staying optimistic, um, you know, hoping for the best, planning for the worst, I guess. Well, and Zach, when you say you trust the players and the coaches, they have so much to gain from staying safe, from making it work. And that's another reason just to trust, not to mention they're all more disciplined than, than I will ever be. And it it just, when I look at some of the pushback for pushing the season back or canceling in some situations, you know, I analyze behavior for a living. And when a high profile coach whose team is struggling right now to make it work is the one pushing, he has a lot of reason for it to push back because yeah. there's benefit there. And yeah. I, I just wish, and and hopefully the people making the decisions are not, you know, using Twitter as their guide on on what to do next. Um, but there is a pushback, and and that isn't always. And Greg had mentioned this. Some of that is just because of the way it looks, and not really looking at how can we do this safely? Is it even safer to push the season back? You know, I I smile to myself when somebody says, "Let's push it back to January." right after everybody spends time with their families for Christmas, uh, there will be a jump in cases after yep. January or after December. It's just unless people change their behavior, but that has not been happening. Well, and so, yeah. I mean, look, look it, at, look at the, look at the SEC after, after uh, Halloween, right? Right. Halloween, do, do, do the math Halloween, no games this weekend or like one game, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I'm, like my opinion on like, I, I think it was Rick Pitino that came out that talked about wanting to push it back. Um, I'm of the opinion of starting it as soon as possible. I think they yeah. should start it as soon as possible. Give them the maximum amount of flexibility. I would play right through Christmas break, right? You know, I mean, I, I would play right through. That's when there's going to be the least amount of variables. I would try to get in as many games as possible. You don't know how, what the situation is going to be like in a month or two, getting as many games as possible, leave you leave as many days open for having to reschedule as possible. And just to see if you can work your way through the season uh, and not force it. Cause I think when you force it, that's really when you get in dangerous situations, you don't want to have to play games, uh, you know, four games in four days, things like that because of the incubation period and all this stuff. Um, you want to give yourself as many breathers as you can throughout the course of the year, in my opinion, anyway. Well, and, and, and this is as deep as I'll jump into anything medically. It is a flipping virus. It is a virus like the common cold. Don't, again, I'm not comparing it to the common cold other than they're both viruses. Influenza is a virus. If anybody thinks that we aren't going to have to deal with this, even with a vaccine that at, at this point is showing potential 90% efficacy, this virus is not going to disappear. And college athletics has shown, and even high school athletics has shown, that it is, it is possible to exist with this virus and, and, and do things with this virus. It doesn't mean the road will always be smooth. It doesn't mean that certain adjustments won't have to be made. It's, I, I, that's my only thing. We, we act like 
that life, normal life can't go on until this virus is com completely eliminated from the face of the earth. Well, then I guess we're not doing anything for the next 50 years. I don't know. It's, well, that, there that's, has that's to be some thing. common sense applied. And nobody and, wants and, to. And, I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. Well, I, I, people say follow the science. I'm very aware of the science. I just say there's raw science and there's applied science. And what I've seen happen with college football playing out, with high school sports playing out, navigating the bumps in the road, what I'm seeing is the ability to apply what we know and still exist and still accomplish things that, you know, to be quite honest with you, society doesn't need high school and college athletics, but it's a part of the fabric of our society. It's something that people rally around. And it's just, it just goes back to the, the, the shaming and, 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 the, and the judging and the criticism and waiting for, for the exception to happen. So I think, uh, I think people are going to continue to find a way, and I'm just going to stay optimistic. Yeah, it's really um, such an interesting situation. You know, I, I think a lot of times we like to make things, not to get too philosophical here, but we like to try to make things more simple than they really are, right? And that's what's being done here. People are saying, you know, if they play, they're going to get the virus and more people are die. If they don't play, you know, we're going to be saved. And that's just not, I mean, it's, it's really been interesting. I've been trying to follow a lot of these updates as to how these different programs are handling this. And, I mean, they're talking about, um freshmen who are going to school across the country who never tested positive but are but came into contact with somebody that that may have and they've been in literally isolation and quarantine in their uh dorm room for 30 days i i don't think i could do that for three days how, <laughs> how is that yeah how is that good for their mental health i'm sorry yeah, that, and, and that's, sorry. Kind of, that's kind of where i'm going with this is like there's you know, ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. And I, I hate to even go down this path because I, it, you know, I understand that this isn't me in the situation. Right. Um, and I, so I always want to defer, like, I hope whoever's making these decisions is taken into account and is consulting with these players and and coaches. I'm not saying do whatever they say, but just make sure that they get feedback from these players and coaches as to, so they know exactly what's going on here. Cause I, I think if they did, I think they would feel much better about that. And, and I think it would be the, the total 180 instead of punishing them by taking away their season. They would be like, you know what? There's a lot that we can take from this. They could, there's a lot that we can take from their approach here that we can apply to other parts of society because what they're doing here, it's working. I mean, for, for major college football to be able to play multiple weeks right in the middle of the pandemic, just like you said, Greg, it's not going to go anywhere. We have to find the best way to, to deal with this. There is a lot of very important takeaways that sports is showing us that we're just choosing to point the finger at instead of look at the positives, right? We, everybody's just mad at everybody and it's manifesting itself in poor ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, th there's, there's ways to mitigate this. Uh, and it makes us a little uncomfortable and we may have to sacrifice a little bit, but sports is kind of showing us the way. I mean, I haven't seen another part of society that's a, that's that's sort of doing that better than sports except for probably the medical community but yeah i i can't say much more than either of you did other than the common comeback would be well you love college basketball so you just aren't thinking <laughs> about you know totally. the, these yeah, other I'm biased. but i'm biased but yeah you know who wants to play college basketball more than i want to watch it the players and that's so that's the thing it's it just I just need an example where letting college or pro athletes play the sport has caused a big issue before I'm more willing to, to say that there isn't a way to do it. And great, not only that, it's, it's not only is that, is it, is it creating an issue? Is it creating a bigger issue than what it would have been if they didn't do anything? If you just send everybody home, there's a lot of issues with that too. And so I, I, Greg, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to catch up, cut you off there, but no, it's okay. And I, and I think that the colleges have worked really hard and they have much more from a resource standpoint, testing things along those lines. I just look at North and South Dakota who happen to be home for four of the 
summer league teams, when these small high school teams can get most, if not all, of their football or volleyball matches in without having these strict testing protocols and, and with just challenging them to say, hey, do your best, what we're doing is if we're going to continue to penalize them more, and, and I hope it doesn't leak into the college, you know what we're going to force people to start doing because of what they love to do? We're going to, they're going to be forced to say, I'm not going to tell anybody that I think I might have it. I, I'm not going to be honest because I don't want to risk hurting my team or doing something I love. And, and people can be upset about that, but let's not ignore human nature, for goodness sakes. Let's not force them to do that. So let's, again, um, hey, you guys have been great. I'm sorry sometimes I get overly philosophical, but there's a part of me sometimes that goes, at what point do we, do we appreciate the things that are going well and not try to always have this, this sacrificial lamb, the most visible sacrificial lamb, just so we can say, look at me, I'm doing something. Right. And I, I, I hope that's not the case. I pray that's not the case. And guys, I may, I may immediately, immediately regret what I'm about to say, but you know, this, this is, um, this could turn out to be a really interesting conversation on Twitter. Um, just about some of the good examples and some of the bad examples. I, you know, um, this is by no means a scientific experiment or anything like that, but this conversation I think is really interesting. I'm open, I'm open to hearing different opinions. Um, that's what I think this is all about. And I think Twitter is a good platform for that. It could just divulge into just name calling and all that stuff. And if that's the case, we'll, we'll have to back out of that. But I'm, I'm totally up to, if you guys want to chat about it a little bit more on Twitter or, or talk about different aspects, that may be as good of a platform as we have for that at this point. So. Well, and I think that's part of what we need to do is actually converse about it and not just mm-hmm. demonize one side or the other. I, there are certainly <laughs> examples of people doing things that I disagree with, but at the same time, like if we just listen and, and have conversations, I think we can find the middle ground that always needed to be found with all of this. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, yeah. if we could actually be part of uh, a demonstration that, people with differing viewpoints can actually converse without hating each other and without calling each other terrible names. If nothing else, that could be a huge win. It's, um, it's amazing, but no, I, Hey, these are interesting times. I thought today was going to be pretty short. I think you guys bring up some great points. I think we all want things to happen. And I, and to be honest with you, I think we all, we, we know we all love college basketball, but neither none of us are crazy enough to say, oh, let's do it, even if we're risking, you know, the, these kids' lives. It, we're just all doing it based on data and based on what's shown can be shown that it can be accomplished to this point. And, hey, sometimes there's there's more to there, there's being alive and then there's living life. Right. And. I think everybody in this country wants to live life. And some of those things, for whatever reason, the United States sports is, is something that probably unites more people than it does anything else. So yeah. I'm with you guys. If there's a way we can do it, if there's a way we can make a positive impact, let's try. So that, that actually didn't surprise me, Greg, that we went as long as we did on that. I think it's a topic that, you know, I think needs to be talked about a little bit more actually. And, and Zach, I think it's a great idea that Twitter could be a great opportunity for that. Uh, We only have a few minutes left though. And I do have a a few Twitter questions. So I wanted to to ask you guys those before we, uh, we uh, jump off. And the first one is, is related to the topic we were just talking about. What, how, how will teams in States that visit South and North Dakota, uh, how will they deal with the quarantine? And we've seen some teams drop out already. Do you think we'll see more local games or, or how do you think teams will deal with that? Yeah, I think, I think generally speaking, it's going to be trending towards local teams. And that's just because there's just not much of a coordinated effort between different States, you know, like Ohio, I think is one that had a, had a policy in place that would really make it about impossible to play a game in South Dakota. And I mean, it's, to, to, to a degree, it's understandable just looking at the numbers, things like that. You know, um, the, the more states you get involved, the more variables you have and the harder it's going to be to pull it all off. 
so I think, yeah, generally the, I, I think the, the way it's going to go is just, you know, play your neighbor as many times as you can. If you can do anything more than that, then that's just the cherry on top. But yeah, it's, it's, as it stands right now, you need to cut down on the variables. Make sure that you get in as many games safely as you can. And I think it just comes down to, you know, those those programs making the decision as to what they think is best for their, their athletes. And, and I, I think every institution is going to go out of their way to provide the, the most safe environment they can for the for the visiting teams. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it comes down to, you know, if you left it in the hands of the kids and the coaching staffs, I don't think any, there's not a coaching staff that would ever say, well, I want to risk the health of our players. I think it's just going to be a discussion between the teams, the players, the coaches, and then the administration to say, all right, let's make a decision. And literally on a day by day, week by week basis, that's what we have to understand is looking more than looking more than 24 hours ahead right now is, is kind of risky. So I think that um, everybody's been dealing with this long enough that I think they know the, the proper conversations to have. And, and if adjustments have to be made on the fly, college athletics has shown that they're capable of doing that. And I think football has kind of given us a glimpse into the future here. You're seeing a lot of these conferences step in and say, no, you're not playing any non-conference games. You're just playing the conference-only games. So that that card has not been played quite yet in college basketball, I don't think, but my guess is it's coming. Well, and the good news is teams only need to play 13 games to qualify for the tournament. So even with some of the unique circumstances, it's a lot easier than I had thought it would be for teams. Yeah, and I don't know where they got the 13 games from. Um, my guess is if it means the difference between having an NCAA tournament and not, uh, the, those 13 game threshold will go out the window. Um, <laughs> yep. But but we'll see. Yeah. So that was Joel Strecker that asked that question, and then Rocco Miller asked, "How big of a jump do we think Western Illinois will make this season?" Well, we all it's it, it's anybody's guess. Um, when it comes to experience as a head coach, I think Coach Jeter is very well thought of. And uh, But as far as he's certainly assembled some talent, it's just that a lot of new guys outside of the, what is it, three guys from the same junior college, um, mm. they, they're still getting to know each other. So I think they've got a pretty um, blank slate, to be honest with you. And I think Coach Jeter's going to take him in saying, hey, listen, look where we're picked. We have nothing to lose. Let's go play our tails off. And, you know, the, the cool thing about it is with the way the schedule's set up Friday, Saturday, it's going to be really interesting how much teaching goes on uh, from from the Friday night game to the Saturday night game. And I think this is a great opportunity for Coach Jeter to say, all right, we've got this exact same team. Here are the few, um, you know, schematic things we're going to change or strategic adjustments we're going to make and then see how his players respond. Great opportunity for coaches to teach their guys their systems this season based on how the summit league schedule set up. Yeah. These back-to-back games against the same team. Um, it's really going to make things interesting. It's really, really going to make, there's just so many different approaches that you can take. Um, so I, I think they're going to catch a couple teams off guard. You know, I think they have more talent than they had last year. Um, I, I know that uh, I think they're going to be a little bit more motivated than they were last year and a little bit more focused that too. Um, and so I think there's going to be more parity in the league and I, and Western is going to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I think this year might not be the year, but things look good in Macomb going forward. So, Mm -hmm. so we're right at about our time and we do have one more question, but I think I'll move that to next week. So we'll wrap up this episode and Greg, did you want to highlight the interview we have for next week? Well, as of now, what we've got, we've got uh, athletic director at North Dakota State, Matt Larson, has agreed to come on and visit a little bit just about some of the, the you know, the, the hurdles that he's had to deal with from an administration standpoint. You know, not only, you know, North Dakota State's case, they're pushing their, the FCS has pushed their football schedule to the spring. And at the same time, navigating, just navigating the whole pandemic from an athletic administration standpoint, from a basketball scheduling standpoint, from a, you know, him being in charge of close to 300 student athletes and, and trying to keep them uh, interested and motivated and, and, and helping, to, helping them to understand that he has their best interest first and foremost. So I'm looking forward to a chance just to sit down with him. He's always been uh, more than willing to, to talk about these things. All right. So next week we 
we'll plan on going through that interview and previewing some games coming up the week following. And you guys can find us on reachingthesummitpodcast.com. That is the website. Or uh, as we said before on Twitter, uh, thank you, gentlemen, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Todd.